that we take a little bit of extra time in prayer. Is that up and going, Brother Brett? Thank you. Okay. So uh, you have your handout tonight, uh, Biblical Worldview, handout number 10. And I was going to say, I knew I brought a bottle somewhere. Uh, handout number 10. And, and we're going into, into this chapter. We're, in, we're actually in chapter two of the book, I believe it is, if I'm not mistaken. We've just finally got to chapter two of the book, uh, but uh, that we've been using as kind of a guide. But, cha- but this chapter deals with the reliability of the Bible. And you may be asking yourself, you know, this is biblical worldview, so why are we concerning ourselves with the reliability of the Bible? Well, obviously, um, it makes a whole lot of sense. Where did I put my Bible? I brought it somewhere. No? Yeah, I left it in my office. Uh, You can't, Joe, there's a black, I thought I brought it, but I might have just put it on top of the other books and left it. Um, but we want, we want to look at this issue, and, and, and particularly, and there's a reason why we want to look at this issue. If you look at your first line in your notes there, the Bible serves as a guidebook to assist us in developing a biblical worldview. You notice we did not call this study a Christian worldview. This study is called a biblical worldview. And it's done on purpose. That's done for a reason. It's done because the Bible is our guidebook. I did leave it in there. Thank you, Joe. The Bible is our guidebook for living. And so if we're going to develop a biblical worldview, which you could also term a Christian worldview, but we're turning a biblical worldview specifically because we see the Bible as critical to developing that biblical worldview. And, and so um, and, and that's why we're, we're, we're looking at this over the next couple of weeks. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, very familiar verses probably to most of you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and starting verse 15, it says this, and it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, that word is mature, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now we're going to look at some of those other aspects next week, the profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. We're not going to make it there tonight, I'm just telling you. But we'll look at those next week. But the Bible serves as our guidebook. And because the Bible serves as our guidebook, Satan doesn't like it. And so this is point number two. Satan has waged war on both the spoken and written word of God. Satan has waged war on both the spoken and written word of God. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3 and verse 1. We're probably familiar with that verse. Satan talking to Eve. And what did Satan say? He said... Yea, hath God said? Right? That's what he said to Eve. God had spoken. God had told Adam and Eve how the Garden of Eden worked. They had access to everything in the Garden of Eden. Every tree, every fruit, everything that was there, but one tree. And when Satan came to Eve and she said, well, we can eat of everything except for this tree, Satan said to her, hath God said. He tried to twist God's words. He tried to twist what God had said. 
he lied obviously about what God had said and and convinced Eve to eat of the fruit and then given it to Adam and Adam as well ate of the fruit and we know the story from there sin entered into the race of mankind and it's been here ever since and we live in a broken fallen world today why because Satan was able to twist God's word in the Garden of Eden and get Eve and Adam to fall for it. And so these thousands of years later, here we are, and we're a sin-filled world. Why do we... (laughs) We're talking about a baby in the hospital tonight. We're talking about all these people in our church with cancer. Why do we have all these things? We have these things because we live in a sin-filled world. And what was the perfect world in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered into it, that perfect environment, that perfect world was broken. And and so we have to understand, though, that, that Satan hates God's word, whether spoken or written. And he tries to twist it. And he tries to make it say things that's not. And he is actually, I mean, we're, we'll look at a couple of things uh, tonight and maybe a couple of things next week. But but he has tried his hardest to eliminate uh, God's word. Now, that takes us to our third point on the front of this page. The questioning of the inspiration of Scripture became very prevalent um with the theological liberal liberalism, excuse me, I can't speak tonight, theological liberalism that swept the U.S. and Europe. We had, during the late 20th century, we had this, this theological liberalism that swept our country and swept through Europe. Bastions of revival, places that saw great revivals, turned from God because of that theological liberalism that took place. And, 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 and as they did that, the, the society that was left behind was just absolutely brutalized. When did you say that was? Late 20th century. Yeah, late 20th, late 20th century. Mid to, mid to late 20th century, I guess I should say. Mid to late 20th century. Uh, Chapel, the author of the book we're using as our guide, he said, history has revealed continuing attempts to question God's words. Many of these attempts have weakened the faith of our society. So I want to stop here just for a minute, and I want us to think about this. As liberalism has invaded, and I'm not talking about invaded our society. We know liberalism has invaded our society, but we're talking about theological liberalism. As liberalism has invaded theology, what are some of the areas in which we see people begin to question the Bible and the inspiration of Scripture? What, give me some areas. Where, where do we see those things begin to be questioned? I'll give you one. We see people questioning, is the Bible really God's word? Or is it some of God's word? Is it part of God's word? Is there more that's needed or some that can be left out? Is the Bible God's word? So there's just a lot of areas in which, you know, the absolute spelling out of right and wrong is grayed down. Right. So there's, you know, I mean, if the Bible is very clear on, you know, uh, homosexuality, well, there's plenty of churches in our country where it's just. Right. It's, it's watered down to the point where it's just ignored. Right. 
Right. So what's happened is because of this this liberal theology that's infiltrated into and, and basically, folks, it has wreaked havoc in denominations. I mean, it just has wreaked havoc in denominations. There are denominations of churches today that no longer stand by the scripture. They're trying to be relevant in society, and the way you, that you can be relevant in society is you have to ignore Scripture, delete Scripture, get rid of Scripture, twist Scripture, whatever you got to do to it, you do it. See, I, to me, I, I really struggle, you know, why, why do we have about 30, no, I don't have that many, I was going to be sarcastic. Why do we have so many translations of the Bible today? Copyrights, well, they, they copyright them after they translate. But why are, they, why are these all these translations today? Why, 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 you know, the King James Bible was great in, in 1611. Why isn't it good for 2023 in some people's minds? Now, in other people's minds it is because that's the version I use. But, you I think part know. of what Patrick is saying is to, to be able to copyright a new Bible, you have to change it a certain amount. Yeah, you have to change yeah. So, so if it, so, and so this is, yeah, that's a good point, and this is a good point because if this is the word of God, but to get the next translation and have a new copyright, I have to change thirty percent of this book. What have I just done to the Bible? I've just changed thirty percent of the Bible. And there's the revelation warning. <laughs> yeah, to not to add or take away, right? I mean, it's very. I mean, the scripture is very clear that you should not add or take away from this book. Yeah. Well, yeah, but yeah, but you have to have translation in a language you can read. You, uh, you know, none of us in this room can read Hebrew or Greek, you know, unless you studied it. But, but, but once it's translated into that language, why has it been retranslated so many times? Well, I don't speak English. You don't know what "the" means, or "thus" means, or "shout" means. Yeah. Well, I, I would disagree with that. I think, I think it's simple to read the King James version of the Bible personally. Um, but the thing is, as translations have come out, other translations, there is scripture that is twisted, turned, and changed. And part of that is because if you look at the board of people that have written the new translations, there are ideologies on there that go against scripture. And you can and you can study this out. You can you can you can. Sorry. Oh, okay. You can research. Is the, the the boards of people who translated some of the different versions of scripture, and you will find people on those boards that have an ideology that they're trying to push that is not scriptural, and so and that's where you that's where you can run into a lot of your problems, and and it's not just the the version of scripture though that's I think is is important, but it goes it goes beyond that. We're talking about a, a liberalism that is has, has just infiltrated churches where churches no longer hold to the scripture. So the Bible tells me that to be a pastor, I have to be the husband of one wife. So I'm not a female, because if I'm a female, I'm not the husband of one wife. So what does that tell me? That tells me that a pastor has to be a man, right? If, if the pastor is supposed to be the husband of one wife, then the pastor has to be a man. That's a position reserved for man. And we could sit there and talk all day about why and why we think it would be. It doesn't matter. What matters is God says that a pastor is supposed to be the husband of one wife. So he's got to be a man. But what do we see in churches 
everywhere today in our nation. Even in our nation, we see pastors all over the place that are women. Pastoring churches, the church right down the street from me, I mentioned the other Sunday, welcoming their new pastor. Her name is Barb. So, you know, that's, you know, that's right down the street from where I live. And uh, so, but, and it's influenced so many areas. But the question often becomes is, is, and this is where the battlefront lies, is, is God's word inspired? Is this the inspired word of God? Now, and that's what we're going to talk about a little, and then we're talking about some other things, but, but is this the inspired word of God? Now, what does the word inspired mean? The word inspired means God breathed. That's what the word means. So when it comes to the Bible, if we're going to say that the Bible is the inspired word of God, then we have to, okay, so then we're saying, okay, if the Bible is the inspired word of God, then God breathed this book into existence. In other words, in other words, he said what was supposed to be in this book. How did he do that? Well, we're going to look at that a little bit later. I don't know that we'll get there tonight, but he worked through 40 writers over a long period of time, and those writers were uh, spoken to by the Holy Spirit of God. And they wrote, now they wrote in their language, in their um their way of style of writing, but they wrote what God wanted them to write. So we'll look at that a little bit more uh, next week. But let's start with just, I want to start with these four facts. We might get through these tonight, and then that's where we'll have to stop. Basic facts pertaining to God's word. Number one, number one, God's word is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16, we just read that passage, tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So right away we have we have a very specific thing here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So either we believe the Bible and we accept it as truth, which then means we accept that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or we don't believe it. Amen. It's one of the two. We either believe it or we don't believe it. And so the Bible tells us that it is inspired of God. Number two in this section, the Bible is alive. The Bible is a living book, and, and, and we don't deal with that normally because books are not alive, but the Bible is a living work. Notice what it says in John chapter 6 and verse 63. It says, it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profit, uh, spirit that quickeneth, excuse me, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they're life. The word of God is alive. Number three, the word of God is convicting. Convicting. Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews four and verse 12 says this. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joint and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What is the word of God? It is convicting. It's like a sword that cuts both ways. It pierces our soul. Yeah, brother. Oh, in John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word... Yeah. So this is basically. This is God on paper. Right. 
<laughs> no, you're exactly right. It's the written word of God. Jesus Christ is the living word of God. And that's, yeah, then that's that's how it is. Yes. You know, a lot of people have problems understanding how the scripture is alive. Yeah. Um, a lot of new or unchurched folks have yeah. that I've ever witnessed to have, have had a difficult time trying to understand yeah. or grapple with the idea of a book being alive. Right. And, yeah. Um, you know, because the scriptures bring life. Yeah. They bring life. Right. But yes, it's hard to understand that yeah. concept, maybe. And, and I ask them often, I'm like, okay, I said, if, if you read a book, I said, let's just use a novel, Moby Dick, for instance. Yeah. When you read a certain chapter, a given chapter, any chapter, the meaning and the intent behind that chapter never changes. And I... I would always tell them, you know, um, you can read certain passages in Scripture, I said, and mark it down, you know, a note, side note of what that Scripture was dealing with in your life in that moment, you know, in 1989. Right. And revisit it later in 2014. It means that there's something totally different mm-hmm. that, that comes out from that piece of scripture that you read. And I explained to them, I said, you know, it's in that moment that you realize that the words aren't just for a single moment. Right. That it's ever changing. Right. And therefore, if scripture is ever changing, then it's alive. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to that's a good way to look a good example of how to look at it that way, and uh, and we and we know that throughout the scripture it tells us that God, God's word gives life, it gives us life, and uh, and so we understand that. And then the last point tonight on that on that list of four is God's word is eternal. If you want to just look over at First Peter, First Peter uh, chapter one. And uh, verse 23, First Peter 1 and verse 23, it says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of un- incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And uh, how, where, what does the word of God do? It lives and abides forever. And uh, you know, next week we'll look at some instances. Um, there have been attempts through the years to eradicate the word of God. And uh, the... The nice thing about that, or the ironic thing about that, is every attempt to eradicate the Word of God has only caused it to spread further. <laughs> every attempt. You have different you have different nations in the world that have sought to completely destroy and other utterly eliminate every version of God's Word that's in that nation, and it backfires every time. Why? Because God's Word is an eternal Word, and He's going to preserve His Word down through time and the any attempt to destroy it it you know you may destroy a copy of it but you're not going to destroy god's word it's going to survive until jesus christ returns and so uh next week we'll look at a couple of those instances where nations have sought to destroy god's word only to have it backfire or have it affect the nation there are nations that have paid dear prices because they tried to eradicate god's word and um, so we'll look at that next week. But we're out of time this week. Patrick? This is an interesting off-the-cuff thought. If you have to change it by 30%, then it has to be a difference in all the other versions. 
worse. It's watered down. Yeah. Yeah, it tends to get watered down. And yeah, and yeah, yeah, and you have to be, you have to just be very, very careful, you know, and uh, just, you know, what, what is the closest translation? Because we're dealing with translations. What is the closest translation? It's like Jason mentioned, you know, we had, you know, the Bible. We, we're not to this point yet, but the Bible was written in three languages. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Chaldee. So you've got three languages. Uh, and it was written on three different continents, by the way. We'll talk about that more next week. But three languages, so we tra- we have it translated into our language. But what translation in, do we have translated into our language stays the truest to the original manuscripts of the of the scripture? Because we do have to understand there is no place on this earth where you can go and go back to the Hebrew, Greek, and Chaldee and pick up an entire Bible. It doesn't exist that way. Because these are ancient manuscripts. These are manuscripts that have been found and gathered over the centuries. And 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 basically what you what you do is you get and, and we'll we'll go into this a little bit. I'm not gonna go really deep in this, but you basically you find the majority of the manuscripts that agree, which we have over somewhere between I think seven and nine thousand manuscripts that are bits and pieces of the Bible that agree that are, are the foundation for the translation of the scripture into the English language. And so, you know, to have that many, so the foundation is important. What are you, what are you basing your translation on? And there's more than one translation based on those documents, but there's a lot of them that are not based on those documents. And so that becomes some of the issue uh, to, to today as well. So, did, Brother Brett. I was going to say, back to what Marty was saying, that, um, you know, the, the fact that the Bible says, you know, or that the, the word is alive. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 that, um, I just squint, sorry. Um, <laughs> Shared glasses, there you go. So in, in the, uh, yeah, so in, in the whole armor of God, uh, it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Yeah. And that's the other aspect that makes it alive, is the Holy Spirit wields the word right. of God. Right, right. And, you know, cuts, comforts, as yeah, and that and part of the job of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to illuminate scripture. You know, we think of illuminating; it, it kind of gets a negative connotation in today's age. You know, because of the New Age stuff. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. We're taking away the Holy Spirit's ministry if the, if that's not part of what takes place. The Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture to us. When I read the Word, or somebody gets up in front of me and preaches the Word, it's the Holy Spirit that is revealing what that word is saying to my life, which goes right along with what you were saying, Marty, because the Holy Spirit in 2014 can say, this is what you need right now in your life. You need this word right here. And in 2023, the same passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit says, this is what you need in your life right here, right now, because it's the Holy Spirit that does the illuminating of Scripture to us. And and that's a critical thing that I think we often overlook um, you know, we're, we're commanded to, you know, we're commanded to study God's word. We're commanded to put it to memory. Uh, we're commanded to read it, uh, to, you know, to me- meditate on it, all these things. But all those things are guided and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not just me reading it and gaining knowledge from it. It's the Holy Spirit using it, directing it, working it through within my life. And so that's, that's, that's where we're at with that. All right. Well, we didn't cover as much ground tonight, but we had a lot of prayer time, which was good as well that we needed. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for your blessings to us, Lord. Thank you for the time we can gather together. 
look into your word, Lord, and we just pray that you give us uh, the ability to learn things as we work our way through this this biblical worldview study, Lord, and just help us as we, we go throughout the week. Continue to be with uh, Melody, Lord, and just uh, the, give the doctor's wisdom there with Mary there in the hospital. Lord, we pray that you'd be able to get out soon. And Lord, we just pray that you just uh, dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple things. Uh, first of all, I don't think I mentioned Mary's supposed to be in the hospital between two and four days. I don't think I mentioned that. And don't forget some men's breakfast sign.